Seinfeld. The stall is over and has been for quite some time, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap of podcast about nothing. And now here are the two guys who can always spare a square. I'm Rob Sister. Here's Kiva Winokur. Kiva, how are you? I thought you were going to say you had a non-sexual crush on me, but whatever. <laughs> I was going to say you're a mimbo. <laughs> I've never been called a mimbo before, but I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. All right. No, this is not one of those 976 numbers. This is the Seinfeld post-show recap podcast. And uh, very excited. I actually really enjoyed the stall. Oh, yeah. You know, the the spare square, I think, is the most famous. And I guess the, the term mimbo or like the most famous parts of this episode, if you're trying to describe it to like a casual Seinfeld fan. But... Uh, yeah, this is a really good underrated episode. It's it's a really good episode. Yeah, fun stuff. I really like the stuff, the subplot about George having a non-sexual crush on Tony. Though so Jason Alexander really steals a lot of these episodes, where even when the storylines are not so great, I mean, that his stuff, especially here in this fifth season, is really just uh, out of the park. Yeah, our fifth season podcast, it's been the fall of George. <laughs> yeah, it's been very good. All right, Akiva, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, uh, you know, it's it's nice to speak to you back on our mothership podcast here. Yeah, so Kevin and I spoke on the Survivor recap uh, this past week. It's a busy week for both Akiva and I. As Mets fans, we are recording this. Uh, we record these on Wednesdays, and usually they get up and posted by the weekend. So by this weekend, uh, things could be, you know, we're, we could be at the top of the world, or the Mets could just be completely swept out of the World Series. Right, and by next week, it could be Game 7, and we'll both just be, like, sweating bullets. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? Who knows? You know, we uh, can only dream at this point, but instead uh, we'll focus on uh, toilet paper and the first Seinfeld of 1994. Uh, Yeah, we're now like smack in the middle of hammer time. It feels like a tiny bit more modern this episode than than, like any (laughs) episode we've seen. That small little gap from the end of 1993 to 1994. I think it's just like the colors or something. Something about it just seems like a little (laughs) bit more current. All right, there you go. So uh, we're going to talk about that here today. Uh, Akiva, any Seinfeld news or Seinfeld tweets? Yeah, I got a, so I'll give you a little brief Seinfeld news of the week that's related to this episode, The Stall. There's only six actors, right? There's only two guest stars at all in this episode, the two, uh, the boyfriend and the girlfriend. But the actress, Jamie Gertz, who played Jane, uh, we were recording this today on her 50th birthday. So happy oh. birthday, Jamie Gertz. <laughs> she's not on Twitter. I wanted to ask her, hey, do you want to spend your 50th birthday doing a podcast? <laughs> but she's not on Twitter. Yeah. Although the guy is, I, I was going to ask him, but I, I thought like he might he might get the wrong impression. Yeah. Well, the guy is Dan Cortez that he actually, yeah. you know, is uh, probably, a, you know, very well-known guy, even at the point. How many followers does Dan Cortez have? Rob? Uh, I'd say Dan Cortez has 12,000 followers. Very close. Wow. 15,000 followers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was a very 90s guy. What was it? What's he most famous for? Because I don't really know him outside this. MTV Sports. That was his uh, big thing where it's sort of like. He was one of the, you know, 90s faces of MTV where he would be like sort of like rock and jock, sort of like they had the MTV sports show. They're like him and like Daisy Fuentes. I feel like. What about Sal Masekalo? Or was he, he was just ESPN. He wasn't MTV. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know that name. I feel like he's ESPN's version of that. Yeah. So, you know, him, Kennedy, Daisy Fuentes. I think like those are the faces of MTV in the 90s. Pre-Carson Daly. What about the guy who won the, the VJ contest? The tall, like, weird-looking dude? <laughs> who was that? You don't remember him? No. Oh, he was, was, what was it? Like, Jesse. Jesse. You don't remember Jesse? Uh, he was, like, I, really tall and scrawny. Yeah, I, I do remember that guy. I forget his last Jesse name. Jesse Camp. Yeah. Jesse Camp. 
Yeah, I think he was just more in the late 90s. Okay, so you were already like too cool for that? You were already in college? Yeah, I don't know if I was ever too cool for anything, but I feel like probably... But you may have, you could age out of things without being mm-hmm. cool. I, I think that, you know, sort of like pre-TRL, sort of like... Oh, so uh, you, you were know. not there for TRL, because I was definitely there for TRL. Yeah, I think I was kind of, uh, you know, not paying close attention to it by the, uh, the sort of heyday of TRL. And Dave Holmes, I think, was the other guy. Yeah. He used to do like the, uh, you know, really uh, headbangers ball and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think they, 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 they was a, it was like one of the original reality competition shows was Want to Be a VJ. Yeah. Predates, predates Survivor, you know, predates almost everything. All right. Well, not the real world. So they were right there, MTV. I mean, there are contestants who are on the real world, Rob, who are in their 50s. Mm-hmm. There's like a guy who's been a congressman for like 15 years who was on the real world. Wow. I mean, can you imagine like... What, what survivor? I, nah, this is nothing. Nobody's, this is not a survivor podcast, but I guess a good question. Like, which survivor would make the best congressman? <laughs> I mean, there was a guy who was like, you know, hanging out in real world Boston or something is now like a congressman for, you know, so. Yeah. All right. Well, we will. What about you? I feel like it would be you. Me? I'd be a good congressman? No. no I don't think so. I think that people. You're would. a man of the people. You'd, you'd be, you wouldn't even have a party. You'd be so neutral. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if this podcasting thing doesn't work out. But in the okay. meantime, we've got uh, so much to uh, talk about. Any, anything else from the Seinfeld news besides uh, birthdays? Well, come on. I mean, what could be bigger than Jamie Gertz's 50th? Well, I did uh, see or listen to Jerry Seinfeld was calling into WFAN in New York uh, this week. Of course, uh, Jerry, very big Mets fan, very excited about all the news uh, with the Mets. And he was on for about 30 minutes with Steve Summers the other day. Yeah, there's been a lot of Jerry Met stuff. He's really into his shoes. He's got like lucky shoes or special shoes. Uh, Jerry, he really does like the Mets. He's not one of these like L.A. fans who shows up and leaves in the third quarter when nobody's watching. Yeah. So he was <laughs> he was on for a while in terms of uh, being on with Steve Summers. They were taking calls and stuff. <laughs> it was really <laughs> I think that's kind of weird where it's like it's one thing where they interview him, but then they also go to the phone sometimes. It's funny because like I'm I, I th- you've told me before you like Steve Summers. He has like a very sort of like, can you do his voice? It's like a very sort of like monotone. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, like drone he's, he's voice. He's very much like, uh, and we're here with Jerry Seinfeld once again. And, you know, it's, if, I mean, Steve Summers is like, I mean, like 80 years old. Yeah. And, but Jerry only goes on with him. He's never gone on in, in, like Joe, uh, Joe and Evan or Mike Francesa, any of the popular shows. He just comes on with Summers. Uh, I don't want to say never, He, but I, I believe he's uh, been on. Uh, maybe with Mike and he could, Chris. He maybe he could go on Boomer and Carton if he was like promoting something. And he, he's he, never been on Francesa, to my knowledge. Yeah, he also uh, he definitely was on with uh, Boomer and Carton. I remember like when after Bobby Ojeda got fired, he was on, and they were trying. To oh get yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was very upset about that. <laughs> for Bobby Ojeda to stay on the SNY. Yeah, he was. Show. He was very mad about the Bobby Ojeda thing. <laughs> yeah, and Jerry made uh, original Mets sneakers. Yeah, he's super into for Joe, Jerry's like a shoes monster. He loves shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so he's got lucky sneakers and, uh, it was like a video of him watching the game. He was super into it. I think somebody, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but somebody tweeted, like they kept going to him awkwardly clapping at a Met game. Yeah. And somebody tweeted Jerry claps like Elaine dances. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's pick it up here on our first Seinfeld episode, in 1994 on January 6th, 1994, an episode written by Larry Charles. And Larry Charles says in the inside look for this episode, he's sort of, he's always the bathroom guy, he writes all the bathroom stories. Yeah, I mean, this is really like this is almost like, uh, you know, a very important episode in the history of bathroom humor with, uh, you know, in TV and film. Why? Because that we're like we have two women just like sitting on the toilet and we're with them. I think 
was, you know, probably unusual. I don't know if this could have happened in 93, Rob. I think we needed 94 to bust out for this to happen. <laughs> you knew it was 1994 when Elaine talks to uh, Jerry's girlfriend, Jane, in the bathroom. Elaine and Jane in the bathroom stall. So Jerry stand up talks about whales. I'm not sure what this had to do with the episode, especially considering that next week's episode is the marine biologist. This seems not uh, next week, but yeah, soon, soon, soon. Uh, we have where Jerry is doing whale humor. I'm not sure if that just got bumped from that episode. <laughs> yeah, we needed we didn't we didn't have enough room for both the stamps. Yeah, I mean, I guess we've seen a couple times where there's no he doesn't have like fitting stand up. Like he I guess maybe he doesn't want to do bathroom humor. So what else is he going to do here? But yeah, it was one of the weaker standups we've had so far. Yeah, talking about whales and how everybody talks about how smart they are. How come they always wash up on the shore? He says the whales should spend less time singing and more time going ahead and uh, not crashing into the beach. Yeah, not really. This never really made it into his stand-up. Yeah. Okay, so we see Elaine in the stall to open the episode at the movie theater. Again, always problems at the movie theater for the Seinfeld gang. And she forgot to check to see if there was toilet paper in the stall. And so she says to the woman next to her, could you uh, give her some toilet paper? In a square square. Three squares. Would that be possible? Yeah, even even one ply if you have two ply toilet paper in there. <laughs> Akiva, have you ever found yourself in this situation? I mean, I haven't. I like I've I, maybe my own bathroom, and then like I have two bathrooms near each other. So maybe if no one was, or all right, maybe we're getting too much information here. But mm-hmm. I think like the you know never out. But I also I've been on the record that I'm very anti public bathrooms yeah and i'm anti going on public so it's, it's really <laughs> so you're not just anti public restrooms you're just anti public public restaurants public libraries <laughs> airports <laughs> yeah and so uh, for elaine and, and again you know this uh, as a as a married person i i probably have a I, i've uh, understood this a little bit more of uh what you know the uh a, a woman will require uh, much more toilet paper at a, at a uh, in a bathroom. And women take the toilet paper very seriously. I feel like uh, men sort of like uh, are are uh, more survivalists that could probably get by with less. The women want to have the toilet paper uh, as much as possible, just stocked away. Right. Plus, they're sitting down a hundred percent of the time, so they yeah. should be traveling with something in their in their purse. Okay. So Elaine uh, asked the woman, she, uh, can she spare a square? Now, what do you think was the situation in Jane's stall? Was there a plethora of toilet paper? Was there only, like, could she actually not spare a square? Like, did both stalls both run out of toilet paper and Jane's stall had, like, you know, um, you know eight inches of toilet paper stuck to the roll? I think that at first I, I feel like you believe Jane, but then in the final scene when she so, you know, quickly rejects Elaine's, uh, you know, asking of a tissue, which, you know, who cares if you give up your last tissue anyway? And she's like so adamant and crazy about it mm-hmm. that I feel like uh, she's lying here. Like we don't wish she could have an entire roll. She could have, you know, two pieces, but she's a liar. She's some sort of toilet paper, paper product hoarder. She's just not a good sharer. Okay. Except when it comes to sharing over the phone. Well, yeah, but, uh, yeah, her her parents didn't teach her how to, uh, you know, share her toys with others. Okay, so anyway, they get into this big argument. Now, you can't spare a square? No, no, she doesn't have a square to spare. And again, most famous dialogue from this entire episode. So she's at the movies with Jerry. Did we ever get a sense of what movie they were seeing? 
No, I'm sure someone has broken it down free because there is like, you know, dialogue that's audible in the background. But I, I wasn't paying attention to it. I'm not sure. They usually, you know, they usually have some funny name, but wasn't really a big plot point here. Now, is this plausible at all that Jerry was at the movie with his date? Elaine is at the movie with her date and they never could sync up. I mean, remember, there, I was thinking that, but there's no cell phones. So let's say they were going separately and they're like, hey, let's both go to the you know, the, the seven o'clock showing to get, you know, together. But one of them, you know, Jerry and Jane get there 15 minutes before so they sit down. And now it's like the theater is getting crowded. So what do you do? Maybe there's nowhere for Elaine to sit, but it's weird. They wouldn't even like at least make some sort of contact with each other. Like, Hey, like there's no seats next to you, but we're here. What has it going? Nice to meet you. Yeah. We know how Elaine feels about saving seats. Maybe they both sort of got there and it was like one got there like five minutes before the movie started. And one got there like, you know, two minutes before the movie started. And then there were no like group, big groups of seats together. So even if they wanted to save. Right. And also if you're, let's say you're getting there two minutes after the movie starts, then it's like, you're just sitting down. You're not, you know, running over and looking for people. Yeah. Uh, they both did have time to go to the bathroom before the movie started. Is that before the movie started? I guess it well, was, it was during yeah. the movie, maybe. No, because it's I mean, yeah, it sounds like the movie's on, but it's, people are kind of like maybe not paying previews. attention to it. Maybe. Okay. I mean, that's the only part I always pay attention to in the previous. <laughs> I won't go too far down that rabbit hole. So let's uh, talk about Jerry is talking about the popcorn. He says he likes the artificial flavor more than the actual butter. Is that a thing? I mean, I mean, it's a thing, but it's it's not a, the correct opinion. <laughs> All right. So Jane explains to Jerry what happened in the women's bathroom. Elaine comes back and we get to meet her boyfriend, Tony. Tony. Yeah. And it's funny because he's like super unlikable in this first scene. He's like, where's my popcorn, babe? Mm-hmm. But I feel like he grows on you as the episode goes. And so Elaine is telling her side of the toilet paper story. Now, do you find it odd that Jane was like, yeah, she's only dated Jerry for a little while. Like this isn't like they're a married couple or anything like that. She's really disclosing a lot about the toilet paper story. She's like, this woman came in and she wanted all my toilet paper. And I told her no. And I, if I'm Jerry. I'm like, what, 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 what do you need so much toilet paper for? Yeah. But I, this Jane She's very open, as we've established. Like she, you know, she's uh, she's freaky. So this is nothing. You know, she'll talk about anything with anybody at any time. I guess so. All right. So we come back and it's the next day and we see Jerry on the computer. Could you make out at all what Jerry was doing on the computer? No, it's like this weird flashy thing. I felt like if I kept looking at it, I was going to have a stroke. It was really weird. (laughs) Yeah, because it's one of these really old computers and it's on during the thing where nowadays, you know, we'd be some sort of like flat screen or green screen or whatever. But it's really not a, a cool visual. So he's working at the computer. Kramer comes in and says, hey, can I use the phone in your bedroom? And seemingly, like, as a joke, Jerry's like, you're not calling one of those 976 phone numbers, are you? He's like, come on, no, I'm not doing that. I mean, I think they're they're setting up the joke a little bit, because otherwise you might not know what's going on. Like, is he speaking to his girlfriend? Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to know that it's like a phone sex number. But the fact that it seems like this is a joke, what Jerry is saying, like, you're not calling one of those phone sex numbers, are you? Like, no. But I mean, if this was already an established thing, Kramer keeps calling these phone sex lines. Would Jerry allow Kramer to go use the phone in his bedroom? No chance. First of all, it's expensive. And second of all, 
You know, we know it, we know Kramer only needs 30 seconds to do anything. Right, right. So if it wasn't a joke, I can't believe that Jerry lets this fly. Yeah, but he's a comedian. So let's let's guess it's a joke. Yeah, but then it, the joke turned out to be right. Listen, sometimes uh, the truth is uh, stranger than fiction. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's pretty bizarre. OK, so Elaine comes in and they talk about how they couldn't uh, meet up at the movie. And Jerry continues this pattern throughout the episode where he's always mocking Tony. Seems like Jerry uh, comes off kind of insecure in this episode when he talks about Tony. He's insecure, but I also feel like they're two different species out in the wild. Like Jerry would never be friends with a Tony, right? Yeah. There, he's yeah. too different. So he he's no he's just waiting for this one to bite the dust and for her to be on to the next boyfriend. So Elaine is telling this story about what's going on, and Jerry's sort of like half paying attention until she gets to the toilet paper part. And then Jerry comes back and is trying to cover for Jane and says, well, maybe she couldn't spare a square. Yeah, but I do like that, you know, uh, you know, like his realization here, like, oh, boy. Yeah. You know, this is there's like a few, uh, you know, scenes in this episode where someone realizes, like, you know, that the other person is doing something. And, you know, Jerry's like, uh, oh, no, I got a got a big problem here. Yeah. Now it's another person I have to wait until they break up. Me. Jerry says that, you know, sometimes a square is everything. It's basically like asking for another person's canteen in the desert, which is funny. Yeah. So Elaine says she's never going to forget that voice. Again, this episode has a couple of like familiar themes in it. This to me is very reminiscent of the Pez dispenser where Jerry and Elaine end up going and Elaine puts the Pez dispenser or Jerry puts the Pez dispenser on Elaine's lap. And then she starts laughing and George's girlfriend, the piano player, says, I'm never going to forget that laugh. That laugh is tattooed in my head. And Jerry, again, is the person that needs to sort of like, you know, keep them away. Yeah. A lot of it's like Mike Tyson, a lot of tattoos in the head. (laughs) Actually, it was probably George that was trying to keep them away because uh, I didn't want her her to laugh. And then ultimately she hears she hears the laugh. But Elaine says that flinty voice that she is going to it's tattooed in her brain. If she hears it again. She's going to really let her have it. Yeah. So there's a few things tattooed in the brain and there's like a lot of avoiding the voice. Have you ever heard of anybody else's voice described as flinty? No, I didn't. I didn't know. uh, I didn't know that voices come in the form of flint. (laughs) Like, what does that even mean? Flinty? Like, as in like a like you it's like almost like the sound of like striking a flint. I don't know. Is it even like a real like adjective? I looked it up. Flinty adjective uh, of containing or reminiscent of flint <laughs> or uh, a person or their expression very hard and unyielding so really it's the inappropriate use of the word <laughs> i don't know it seems like almost like a made-up word or a made-up use of this word yeah it's possible yeah an unyielding voice i guess you could say i mean they didn't have you know dictionaries like available at their disposal on you know in the writer's room or on set yeah composed of a containing resembling flint especially in hardness so i guess it's sort of like a synonym like for a gravelly voice i guess but it's a little bit of a stretch here a little bit of a stretch but that word is used a lot to describe jane's voice a flinty voice so we also find out a plot point where elaine and jane are going to meet up on saturday when they're going to have a double date don't you find this incredibly bizarre that jerry and elaine are exes and are double dating i mean everything about their relationship and like you know, the way they interact with other people is strange. Like you have to, we're, we're taking with a grain of salt that nobody has a problem with the fact that they used to date and now they're best friends. Yeah. I mean, we've seen a couple times where we have like different women, Jerry or dating seem to have a problem with Elaine being around. 
but it just seems so odd to me, especially like if I was like a guy who was like dating Elaine, like, what are we doing? We're going on a double date with your ex-boyfriend. Yeah, I don't think Tony is uh, the type of person who's going to have an issue with it, though. Yeah, Tony doesn't care. He's a cool guy. Not like me. So Tony knows uh, what's going on. Anyway. Have you ever worn your hat backwards? mm, Not outside. Not in public, I don't think. Okay. Anyway, so uh, Elaine ends up uh, trying to pick up the phone, and she hears that Kramer is on the line. And he refers to himself as Andre. And he's on the phone sex line, and he's talking about having uh, some sort of... uh, adult relationship with this woman in the car and he says the line well what about the driver yeah and uh <laughs> i don't know and then uh, jerry says i think this is very funny he's like uh all right andre could you get off the phone <laughs> and so it, this is true kramer keeps calling these sex lines yeah i mean he has a problem and again i mean i clearly he's never paying jerry back for this because there's no way he can afford this i mean but this is getting expensive Right? How I mean, much is how much is one of those numbers? Three dollars a minute? Oh, I I have no idea what you know what it is now. First of all, I don't even know if it exists now. I don't even know. Yeah, if it's you, probably over the internet or something. If you could still do that. Do they still even have nine hundred numbers? I I have no idea. I really don't. Um, and then in terms of like, I feel like it's kind of like three ninety nine a minute, four ninety nine a minute, and so I I really have no idea. This is really of a time and a place. I think in nineteen ninety four. Yeah, I mean, it's, but also they're trying to keep you on for like a half hour. So we're talking like a hundred dollars here. <laughs> yeah. So, so then as they hang up the phone with the phone sex person, Jerry does say that that voice uh, seems familiar. So now Jerry and Elaine are driving, and again, this is such a weird relationship between Jerry and Elaine. Elaine is saying like, "Hey, uh, you know, I hate to do this, but it's almost time to defrost your freezer." Yeah, this is very like intimate almost. It's like something married people would talk about, right? Yeah, what does Elaine care about Jerry defrosting his freezer? Because she's like his wife. <laughs> He's a single guy most of the time. Yeah, and so then they talk about, uh, get, they get into Tony. And uh, Jerry calls him Hunky Tony. And he always like pops his collar. And Elaine wants him, do you have a problem with Tony? No, how could he have a problem with Tony? I also, like, do people still say Hunky I think they did in 1994. I'm not sure if they say it uh, too often now. I don't believe so. I know. I've never been called hunky, so I assume the word is just out of commission. I think people are still using it, but probably uh, not so much in terms of like, I don't know if you, you know young uh, teenage girls are using it too much. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but anyway, in terms of uh, Elaine and Jerry talking about Tony, you know, Jerry's always mocking Tony. Elaine is defending him. And Jerry says that Tony is a mimbo and says Elaine is only dating him because of his looks. Right. And she says he's not. First year, she says he's not a mimbo. He just hap- his face happens to be perfect. Has a perfect face. Gotta love Dan Cortez. They, they did a casting call for a guy with a perfect face and they, they picked him. Mm-hmm. Well, also the rock climbing thing that he's into extreme sports. And that was sort of like Dan Cortez's calling card at that point in time. Do you think they had like commercials on that week? Like. This week on Seinfeld, Dan Cortez guests as Elaine's boyfriend. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But he wasn't that famous. I think he might have been like, I think that this was a a good spot for Dan Cortez. I would like to see. I mean, you can find a couple of them on YouTube. Maybe I'll do a deep dive at some point, like all the commercials, like previewing all the episodes. Yeah. I don't know if they promoted the guest stars too much on Seinfeld. But, you know, friends used to promote the guest stars like every week. That was a big deal. I remember for friends commercials. Yeah, so it's definitely think, something NBC did. But yeah, Seinfeld was less 
guest star based, probably with Keith Hernandez, maybe like some of those really famous ones. But you're right. So anyway, that Elaine is saying that she is not dating him just for his looks. And Jerry says he expected better for her because uh, men are expected to be superficial. But he did not think that Elaine was that kind of person. I mean, she's like bookish. She's very smart. You know, one of the themes we see watching these episodes and, you know, analyzing them line by line every week is like Elaine is just as terrible as any of the other three characters. Yeah. And then uh, we also find out at the end of this scene that George has the non-sexual crush on Tony. Yeah, which means they've probably been dating like a decent amount of time if George if they already know that George is obsessed with them. Yeah. So we go to the diner and we see Tony with George in the diner. And George is talking to Tony and Tony is telling this story where he says uh, to somebody like, hey, dude, you better step off. That's Tony's catchphrase. You better step off. Yeah, And George is like the classic, like, I can't believe this guy is even deigning to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> so he can't believe it. And he's so excited to be talking to Tony. And uh, he, he loves the story about step off. And um, he has an idea of something of the next thing to do with Tony. And he wants Tony to guess, but Tony is not really that interested in guessing. George wants to go bowling with Tony. Bowling's insane. <laughs> bowling is a crazy time. Now, we saw the guys or, and Elaine go bowling a couple of weeks ago when George's parents were out of town. You have to feel like George is the driving force of uh, all this bowling. And George is a bo- like he seems like a bowler. Like mm-hmm. he wants to do something, but he doesn't want to do like. He doesn't want to run a half marathon or, you know, a 5K or play basketball. I mean, sometimes he plays basketball, but, you know, he wants to do something where he doesn't have to exert himself. He's a chucker. And I think that's good in bowling. Yeah, that's true. Chuckers are. Well, I don't know. The guys who kind of like throw the ball at the lane and then like the manager yells at them. That's not good. Also, that Jerry says George is very strong. He can like uh, pick up a heavy weight over his head. So maybe he's really puts a lot of uh, steam into that ball. Yeah. And he's throwing a 16 pounder. He's not he's not rolling some nine, 10 pound ball. Mm hmm. And so Tony says no to bowling. He says you get no rush from bowling. Yeah, Tony needs a rush. Yeah, the, I do love like the idea of um, like uh, I don't, do we ever like friends with like the coolest guy in school or something no. like that? No. Did you ever try and have a conversation with the coolest guy in school? That, no, I've beca- I've been friends with other cool guys, but not ever in any time that I was in school. Okay, because I do feel like this scene really it happens to be a great scene, but it also like really holds true of like. This guy who's just like, you can't even believe Tony is speaking to him. And and George is just like in heaven. <laughs> I do love the part about how Tony says you get no rush from bowling. And George's answer is, you ever drop the ball on your foot? Like, that's, <laughs> that's a rush. You see, you see visions. Yeah, that's great. All right. Tony wants to go rock climbing. What do you think? Have you ever gone rock climbing? No. Yeah, it sounds terrible. And this is, I thought, you know, like. If someone would say rock climbing to me, I'd be like, oh, at like an indoor like fun place where you sure. go like 20 feet up. Yeah, that would be fun. I always get emasculated. I get emasculated a lot, but we went to my father works in a summer camp. So we went, we go up for a weekend to visit him most years and they have like a really sophisticated rock climbing wall where you climb up like uh, 30 feet and then you go on like a big zip line across like the campus. Mm-hmm. So like my wife really likes that stuff. So she goes up. And then my daughters are really into it. So like my two year old went up like four times and you couldn't. And I told the guy, the guy asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, if you offered me $10,000 cash right now, I wouldn't do it. Did he? No, he didn't. He didn't <laughs> offer it. He, but I really wouldn't have done it. 10,000 would not be enough. <laughs> yeah. So Tony wants to go rock climbing and 
the thing that appeals to George about it is it's going to be just the two of them. So for some alone time with Tony, George is willing to go rock climbing and he'll even make sandwiches. And uh, he asks Tony, what sandwiches does he want? Tuna or peanut butter? Are those the two optimal choices? I mean, those are, aren't those the most common sort of like a school lunch type, go, you know, school trip type sandwiches? I feel like if I was George and I really wanted to bro down with Tony, I feel like I would get like some uh, boar's head involved with this. Like, uh, hey, so what do you want me to pick up? What do you want? You know, turkey, roast beef. Yeah, but how doesn't that stay worse? Like, how, how good is that? How long is that good for? Nothing stays worse than tuna. Yeah, tuna doesn't stay either. <laughs> Peanut butter or jelly will stay all day. I just like if it's if they're out there in the heat for like six hours before they eat. I don't know how long like salami, uh, you know, American salami. American salami, right. So I think peanut butter will stay. Tuna would probably be the worst pick of anything. That's mayonnaise and that's fish. I feel like that that's probably, once you take it out of the can, I think that needs to be refrigerated. It's true. And also uh, they say something later about salmon, which is like extra <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Who's making these sandwiches? Estelle Costanza? Uh, George says he's going to make the sandwiches. He's going to go pick up some bread. I'm saying, but like salmon, that sounds like something Estelle would offer you. She was like a little bit annoyed at you. So Tony wants to know what George is doing manana, because that's when they're going to go rock climbing, rock climbing, manana. What do you think of that? Uh, yeah, it's always good to throw in some Spanish. I think it's also funny when George has like the little line, like, okay, I got to go buy bread, which speaks to me also like George is the nerd. And that's what like the nerds worry about, like the details, mm-hmm. you know, Tony doesn't care about the details like. <laughs> You know, he'll, he doesn't care where he gets his food from, but the nerd is, is worrying about the plans. Yeah, and George says, tomorrow's not really good because I'm going to have a boil lance manana, and they <laughs> charge him with only one manana's notice. Uh, do you think that George actually needed to get a boil lance, or was he no, just... No, of course. He's just desperate because he was up for bowling. He was going to go bowling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the very least, he's willing to miss his boil lancing, but he's also trying to be cool. So why doesn't he have like a cooler injury? Like, you know, I was going like skateboarding on the top of a mountain and I hit my head. I sense that he really did have to get a boil lanced uh, that day, if I had to guess. And I feel like that because uh, I feel like if he was trying to be cool, he wouldn't have gotten into boil lancing. But he doesn't know how to be cool. So he, that's just the first <laughs> thing that comes into his head. Like you All can't right. a nerd. If he was if he could think of cool things, he'd be cool. He's guess, a nerd. I guess so. So Kramer comes in. And again, it's unclear to us how everybody knows everybody that maybe Elaine has brought Tony around quite a bit. So Kramer comes in. And so there's it's weird, like when they come into the coffee shop, like, uh, you know, it's just like they just assume everybody is always there. Like it's the cafeteria or the mess hall of like some dorm. Like it's the max. It, not only does he just come in, talk to them for 20 seconds and then he leaves. <laughs> He's like, all right, Kramer, you're done with this scene. Now go out. Like he was just walking into, they probably just walk by every time they're around just to see if like one of the other four members of the gang is in there. Yeah. That was like when I was in college where, uh, when I was in a fraternity, there was like a table in, in like the union and you could go in and say, oh, is anybody there right now? Okay. All right. Let me leave then. He's like, oh man, I don't want to, I don't want to get stuck talking to that guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that guy's there. I'm going to leave. But anyway, so Kramer comes in and they want to know, what are you doing? Uh, Minyana? Manana Kramer is doing nada. Are you down for some rock climbing with me and George? Kramer's always down for some rock climbing. Yeah, he's down for it. And George is like, no, 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 no this is a bad idea because uh, there's not going to be enough sandwiches. <laughs> like the and also the biggest nerd thing you could say, like worrying so much about the details that it's yeah. like not. <laughs> All right, so 
George saying this could be dangerous up there. Kramer's not scared. All right, so uh, there you go. So we're going to have now Kramer is on board with the rock climbing. Why do you think Tony doesn't have any other friends, though? Hmm. Maybe they're all just too intimidated by uh, his perfect face. Like, because if you're Tony and you want to go rock climbing, like your first choice is your girlfriend's buddies. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. your d- girlfriend's dorky buddy. Maybe he's new in town. He's new in town. Yeah, maybe he's like, you know, from some small town, USA, and he just moved to New York to the big city. And he's got a girlfriend who's in publishing, doesn't know anybody, pre-internet That's possible, world. But I feel like a guy as cool as Tony, within a week of getting to New York, is going to be, you know, up to his ears and friends. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> so it's funny when they go back to Jerry's apartment and Elaine is just like laughing in George's face about rock climbing. Where do you come off going rock climbing? Yeah, I mean, George really should have just said no here because... It's not going to go well. Like he's, uh, it's a miracle. Like George didn't chicken out and just not go. So yeah, it's never going to be. You know, just don't get into a situation where like the end result is automatically failure. And Jerry ends up saying to George, "What are you, his sidekick?" And uh, George is like, "Yes, that's right. I'm the I'm the sidekick, and I like it because he's such a cool guy." Is there any jealousy for Jerry? Is he more jealous of? Tony that he's stealing Elaine or is he more jealous of Tony that he's stealing George? I think it has to be that he's stealing George because he knows that these men are in and out of Elaine's life in a month at most. Whereas George, uh, you know, this could last past like if they have an amicable breakup, Elaine and Tony like George could, you know, now he's competition. Tony's competition with Jerry. So I think he's much more hurt by George's betrayal than Elaine dating him. Mm hmm. George says that, you know, hanging out with Tony is so great because he's such a cool guy. You should see the way he talks to the waitresses. He gets free pie. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm hanging out with Tony. Yeah. He also said he's the first cool guy I've ever been friends with. Like, Jerry wasn't cool. Yeah. Well, Jerry wasn't slighted by that. But also, it's like if someone is cool, but they hang out with the nerds, sometimes they get like they get knocked down a peg in school. Not true. Zach Morris hung out with Screech all the time. It's okay. It's a very good point. A pretend point, but a very good point. Um, yeah, I, I do really like now that I think about it, like the social politics of like an elementary school or a high school are so interesting, it's you deep. know? Yes. Like there would be people in school that I would never speak to because they weren't cool. But then like I would live near them and I would like hang out with them on the weekends when we weren't in school. Hmm. But like if I passed them in the hall, I wouldn't speak to him because like, they weren't, you know, that like that would that would be bad for my my cred, my street cred. My you had hallway street cred? cred? You had hallway, hallway cred? cred. I had I had hallway cred. Oh, some wow. some years. But if you spoke to those guys, then you get lumped in with them. There's no like, oh, he's nice and he's just nice to the you know, the like the nerd. Did your nerdy friend call you out on that, Akiva? No, nerds because then they'll have no friends. No, oh, so they, they know. Like, I'm not saying I'm a cool guy. I'm a B minus. But they're a D, you know, so it's like if you lose your B minus, then you're just back to the other D's. Right. So it's just sort of like you had all the hand. And if they even bring up this uh, double standard, then you're just totally out. Sure. And I've had situations in my life where I was like the D or the F. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No question. I'm I'm not pretending to have been cool ever. Yeah, I'm like that all the time. I don't rock the boat with anybody. Hey, it's like, oh, he's just gonna, he's, it's, it's not gonna be worth it for him. You know, he could find, he'd find 12 me's on the corner. <laughs> sure. Dime a dozen. <laughs> so, 
Anyway, the phone rings and it's Jane and Kramer now. He says he recognizes that flinty voice. Yeah, they're really telegraphing this uh, great reveal at the end here a little bit. (laughs) Well, it's sort of like they're telegraphing it, but it is some question of is Kramer crazy? I think that there is some suspense in that. Right, because Kramer's always wrong. Like this is the rightest he is basically in the whole series. (laughs) Like everything he thinks in this episode like George being in love with Tony is a hundred percent true. Like yeah. Kramer is so on the money in this episode. It's also very funny about uh, Kramer in this scene because uh, George says to him, uh, you know, Oh, nice move with Tony today. And Kramer's like, what about the going on the camping trip? And Kramer says to George, he calls him out. I think you're in love with him. Yeah. And this also really rings true. Cause it's like, this is what someone who didn't like that. There's a third wheel coming would, would act like. Yeah. And George tells him, uh, be careful on the rocks because you're not getting any sandwiches. <laughs> it's very, very funny. All right. <laughs> Jerry's just like, you're making sandwiches? And uh, the one final beat on the sandwiches is George asks Elaine if Tony likes tuna or peanut butter. Or he like, does he like peanut butter? She says he hates it. Hates peanut butter. Yeah. Nobody's neutral on peanut butter. Everybody likes it or hates it. Yeah, what's your deal? I'm, I'm totally fine with peanut butter. Yeah. Peanut butter, if I'm going on to like, if my wife is like, we're going on a, a pumpkin, pumpkin picking or whatever, you know, you, you type of people do. I mean, I'm, I'm going to get out of it. I'm going to stay after work or there's, a, you know, there's a Jets preseason game. But if I do somehow get dragged there, I'm bringing PB&J. Yeah. Okay. And what do you get? A crunchy or a creamy? I'm fine with either, honestly. Okay. Yeah. I prefer the creamy. I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world for the crunchy, but I, I do have a preference. Yeah, I'm, I'm either way. But I. I the the just peanut butter is fine too. I, I don't like just jelly. Mm. And what do you drink with it though? I mean, whatever she's bringing. Usually it's water. It's like hot, and we're just drinking water. Wait, so you don't like just jelly? Is somebody doing a jelly sandwich? No, I no, I don't think they are. But I don't like just jelly on. You have we have jelly on matzah. You'll eat just plain jelly on matzah. I don't really like jelly. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, well, that is, we'll go into this on another podcast. Uh, in between season... Uh, that's, for, that's for our Passover podcast. Right, yeah. we'll r- rank Passover the food podcast. top 31 uh, Passover foods. Oh, man, that'll be a short podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Kramer and George are uh, up on the rock. Did you like how this scene came out, the rock climbing? It's, I, it's so, such a bad background, right? Mm-hmm. But it's almost so bad that it's like not even distracting. <laughs> Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to like you have the actors there. You know, you, you have like more realistic looking things with the stunt doubles. You know, when it's like 100 feet away, the camera's looking at their backs. There's nothing you can do here. If you're you have to have them doing something other than rock climbing. If you want the stars of your show, you know, to actually be on a mountain somewhere. Plausible at all for the tri-state area rock climbing. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's rock climbing yeah. if, if you really want. it. It's not something I've ever looked for. That's for sure. <laughs> Now, was it plausible at all that Kramer and George were like way ahead of Tony? Uh, Tony uh, is very irresponsible. There's a, did you see the deleted scene in this episode, yes. Rob? Yes. So uh, Tony is the deleted scene in this episode, just for people who, who haven't seen it, is uh, I guess it hap- It would probably be a post last scene in this episode, right? That's the only way it fits. Right. Sort of like an end, uh, end piece like we had uh, last week or two weeks clothes, ago. Cold clothes, right. Yes. The cold, the cold clothes. Now, they're not just waving at the, uh, the, at the crowd. Um, I th- that the uh, Elaine and Tony are going rock climbing because Tony has completely healed from his injury. And then Tony spots a pimple on Elaine's face 
and he's out of there. He's out of there, and uh, he leaves Elaine in the dust. Yeah, I feel like there's a whole episode missing there, and of course with Kramer and George, in what happens when they're left. Like, how do they get off the mountain? Yeah, and Tony gives Elaine his catchphrase: uh, "You better step off." It's again deleted for a reason. It's not super funny, but he breaks up with Elaine because uh, right. But we do like in general when we see them break up because uh, sometimes it's like. Uh, a little ambiguous like hey they should be together in theory the next episode but here even without that scene i think it's reasonable that you know because the canon is that tony's face never gets back to right to you know but uh right we don't know we haven't decided if the deleted scenes are canon it's obviously a question for jerry <laughs> it's the first question for jerry uh well, wow take a number deleted scenes are, are canon no. <laughs> all right so they're on the rocks and uh somehow you know george and kramer way ahead did you also see in the inside look that michael richards was actually very upset about this scene in hindsight because he felt like he blew it uh why did he think he blew it he felt like that he said i was attached you know i'm 10 feet up off the ground and i'm wired in and he felt like he should have been like doing crazy stuff and getting all tangled in the yeah that makes sense that makes sense it's more kramer-esque to be like bouncing off the wall you know the mountain and knocking down the canteen and stuff like that. That is true. Right. He comes off. But like, listen, the script didn't call for it. I don't know how much improvising he's doing. Right. And I think it's kind of distracting. And it also makes it seem like Kramer is the one who screws up. If Kramer is like all tangled up in the ropes, like and this was very clearly in the script. Kramer is a natural up on the rocks. George is a disaster. It's George. Right. Right. Fault. Kramer has to be the one has to be the competent one here. And also it's not a long scene. So there's not really time for that. Yeah. So anyway, so Tony wants a sandwich. And so, yes, Tony, uh, what sandwich does he want? Is this when he says, do you want tuna or salmon? Yeah. <laughs> Catch of the day. He really went off the page with the salmon. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he was supposed he said to be- salmon salad, which I don't even know what that is. Salmon salad. Yeah. And so uh, as he's pulling out the, and like in his pocket, too, he doesn't even have like a cooler or anything like that. By the way, that's what nerds did. They'd have sandwiches in their pocket. <laughs> And so he's supposed to be holding the rope and then uh, he lets the rope go to pull out the sandwich. And then we see the rope fall down and then uh, Tony, uh, we hear him falling. Uh, yeah, but I uh, like it's, a, you know, you have to assume at that point that he's dead. <laughs> you would have to assume, right? Because <laughs> what do you do at that point? What do you how do you get down? Yeah. And how the ambulance get there? Like there's a whole there's a whole, you know, bunch of scenes we're missing here. Like an ambulance is getting down to the bottom of the mountain. Yeah. Well. That's what it's easy for the ambulance to get down to the bottom of the mountain. I guess, but did he, he fell all the way down? That's a serious <laughs> fall. Why did only his face get hurt? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I think it might be also, you know, that he fa- falls to like a, um, you know, you're hooked in. So he fell like, you know, 20 feet in the rope and maybe his face hit the side of the mountain. Yeah, but also if you hurt your face, like I know this is 1994. There has to be a serious concussion there also, right? I Again, save this for our medical correspondence. <laughs> okay, fine. All right, so we go back to Jerry's apartment. He's eating pizza with Jane, and uh, Jerry needs a napkin. She will not share her napkin. Yeah, so she's just the worst sharer. Bad sharer. So uh, she wants to know that she have too much garlic on her breath. Jerry says, no, you're fine. And then Elaine buzzes up, and now Jerry realizes that Jane is going to run into Elaine. And then Jerry says, you know what? Your breath, you are very garlicky. Have some gum. And he starts feeding her all of this gum. But maybe, you know, you said maybe she's a hoarder. Mm-hmm. And that's why she won't share. And this, like, almost speaks to that. Because, like, why is she accepting 10 pieces of gum here? 
because she, she can't say no. She loves stuff. Wow. You know, that's a deep cut. Yeah. She loves stuff and she won't, she can't turn down anything that's free because that's what hoarders do. They just keep bringing stuff into their house. Okay. So Jerry just like fills her mouth up with gum. And so uh, then Elaine says, hi, they can't really talk because she has so much gum. She leaves. Elaine is like, what's with the gum? Yeah, because she had so much that it's that it was like, uh, you know, it was like disconcerting. Yeah. And Jerry's like, yeah, it's really embarrassing. He's probably going to have to break up with her over it. Cancel the Saturday night plans. <laughs> Cancel Saturday night. <laughs> Too much gum. <laughs> she puts four pieces on her mouth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's very funny. So then uh, George and Kramer are sort of like sheepish about going in to talk to Elaine. And then they open the door and she's like, so how was rock climbing? And they basically tell her there's been a problem with Tony. Tony took a tumble. Yeah. And, and Elaine goes immediately from I don't care about his looks to, you know, how's the face doing? Did something happen to his face? Perfect face. And so they say to her, what's your definition of the word happen? <laughs> which I feel like is a weird uh, response to that question. Like it's a very pre Bill Clinton. What is the definition of the word is? Uh, I think that to have them say, Oh, can you define happen? Well, so is this the same day? Like, are they coming right back to the apartment after rock climbing later yeah. that day? Yeah. So I guess like the verdict might not even be in yet for what happened to Tony. Mm-hmm. And how come they're not visiting him in the hospital? Like what jerks George is supposed to be in love with him. They got him set up at the hospital. Then Elaine is going to run out to go to the hospital. But she doesn't even know where. They didn't say, like, this is the hospital. Here's where he is. She just runs. This is such like a sitcom thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're at Manhattan Hospital. You know, where obviously where they would bring somebody who uh, fell from a, a mountain that was in the uh, some, somewhere in the tri-state area. Of course. You, dr- you drive, like, it, you know, just for a facial injury. Right. You drive that minute to uh, Hospital Manhattan on the Upper West Side. Right. It's one of those uh, bridge and tunnel ambulances. Yeah. Well, maybe the best face guy is in. Well, uh, maybe Manhattan. see if they didn't say a hel- uh, an ambulance, I would have said for sure he got choppered into the city because it was an emergency. Oh, but he didn't get choppered. Probably an ambulance was able to get to him. Yeah. All right. It was such a rush. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They did say we rode all along uh, the way to the hospital and Kramer yeah, saying 99 true. bottles of beer on the wall. That's true. That's what you should do. Like if your wife goes into labor, you got to do that in the car. Oh, sure. Calms her down. <laughs> so. Elaine and Tony are back together at Elaine's apartment and Elaine is very curious. What the doctor say anything about the face? She only wants to know about the face and it seems like there's no other injuries besides his face also. Yeah. To me, this is also very reminiscent of the nose job where George is dating the woman who gets the plastic surgery and he's very concerned about what is she going to look like underneath the bandages? Uh, Yeah, it is. And you know, like the comic, like the cartoon sort of like uh, facial tape or whatever it is. Mm hmm. It's a big concern for the Fab Four of if they're dating somebody and they have some sort of face surgery, what are they going to look like when they get out of the bandages? Listen, it's a good looking group. They, you know, they, they demand the best. Uh, Elaine wants to know, in this medicated haze, do you recall the words radical reconstructive surgery? <laughs> uh, Tony's drawing a blank. To you, could you tell me, was Tony, is he sort of a proto-putty? <laughs> He's a little bit more fratty than Putty. I know Putty, you know, he, he, where, you know, he goes to the devil's game with his shirt off and, and, uh, and you know, the, the, the letter on his chest. But I, there is, yeah, he, because she's not like most of his boyfriends. Her boyfriends are, I was thinking about this, like, her boyfriends are really over, all over the map. She dates a couple older guys. 
you know, a couple more intellectual guys, but mostly like meatheady. But this is he is almost like the frattiest, I think. But yeah, Putty is uh, of the same family of the same ilk. Yeah. Now, would you say that Elaine has a type? And is this her type? Is Elaine's type the Mimbo? I do think her type is probably the Mimbo. We definitely see some non-Mimbo action. I think the dirty secret is she's not uh, she's not so picky. <laughs> now, Putty is still a year away from appearing on the show. I guess he first appears in the Fusilli Jerry in season six. Mm-hmm. To me, I'm definitely feeling like uh, Tony feels like he could be like Putty's like younger brother or cousin. You think they called up Dan Cortez and they're like, uh, hey, do you want like a your recurring guest spot? And he's like, no, man, I got this MTV stuff going on. No, I'm going to have 15,000 Twitter followers in two decades. Like, <laughs> I can't waste my time. I don't think that they wanted Tony to come back, but I think that they sort of like where Elaine is uh, far and away the smarter person in the relationship. And uh, just like, you know, many of the people that the guys date where it's like, you know, uh, they're sort of the one that are like outthinking them and outlying yeah. to them on a lot of different levels. I think they wanted sure. that same sort of relationship for Elaine. Yeah, if you're a liar, you want someone who's really dumb who's not going to catch you in your lies. <laughs> right. And they're all so, so pathological that that actually makes sense. <laughs> all right. So then uh, we go to then after that, Elaine and Tony, uh, George gets to the door and he wants to come in and talk to Tony. It's very. This is a heartbreaking scene. Yes, and Tony tells George, "Step off. I don't want to see you." <laughs> uh, yeah, and he got him Superman comics, which I assume you know. He I like that's not usually what a cool guy's into, especially now. I think it's cooler to be into comics than it was then, right? Mm-hmm. Back yeah. then, it was particularly uncool. Don't you think it's odd that George brought Tony Superman comics, and Tony didn't say, "Get out of here with those comics. Those are for nerds." Tony starts reading the Superman. Starts comics, reading it. Yeah. And George's other best friend also happens to be a big nerd about Superman. So what is it about guys who like Superman that attracts George so much? Well, maybe it was like when they're writing this scene also with Jerry's like, what's the coolest thing that George can bring to Tony? Superman comics, you know, because in Jerry's mind, that's what's cool. Like, what should he have brought him? Should he have brought him some like uh, ladies magazine? See, it's almost like that. They're trying to play it that George is a kid. And there's also a very funny scene when they're in the in the diner in the beginning where George turns his hat around backwards to try to be more like Tony. And so, like, he's making him sandwiches. He's bringing him chocolates. But then, you know, he's giving him comic books. So I think they're just trying to play it that George is, like, a little kid. And that's sort of, like, in his sensibility, that's what he would do, something nice for, like, a cooler kid at the school. Sure, but... Tony should rip the comics in half. Right. Tony should not be sitting there reading the Superman comics. He should throw them in his face. Even if he likes Superman, he should be like, no, you're so dead to me, George. I don't care that you, you know, got did this nice thing for me. I'm throwing the garbage. Right. Like he should be bringing like Tony, like a stack of Playboy or something like that. Sure. Like a box of carton of cigarettes, like a bottle of booze. <laughs> right. Yeah, That's what some... Tony would want. Something to give him a totally. like, rush. Not comic books. Maybe like an extreme sports magazine. I don't know if those existed, but not not a Superman comic. Yeah. And so then uh, he says he's sorry that it won't happen again. And Tony says there won't be a next time. Oh, boy. So they close the door on him in a lane. Like, wait, 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 George, wait. And he comes back. <laughs> it's like, yes. It's like, oh, you take out the garbage. <laughs> By the way, when, I, when we used to live on the sixth floor in Manhattan, like I would have people over sometimes and they'd be leaving. I'm like, I'm not going downstairs. And like, not if it was something disgusting, 
but I'd be like, hey, you mind just like throwing this out? And my wife would always get so mad at me if I asked like a friend to like bring the garbage down. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it was a big deal, but she used to get fur- she used to be furious about that. All right. So then we see Jerry and Jane. Now Jane is giving Jerry a back rub and he says, Wow, this is a great massage. I've been waiting so long for this. Is that a callback to uh Jerry's last girlfriend? Yeah, we have much more subtle callbacks in season five than season four. That's one almost continuous thread. But yeah, this is definitely a callback to that. Yeah. And so Jerry tells Jane, you know, it's a shame we're not going to be able to get together because Tony got all banged up. Yeah, that's a shame. What a shame. Okay. Um, Anyway, then we get to Kramer comes in and Kramer says hi to Jane and Kramer knows the voice right away. Right. He it's tattooed in his brain. And so Jane says uh, she heard so much uh, about Kramer from Jerry. She feels like she knows him intimately. Wow. And Kramer's like, uh, well, uh, well, we've never met uh, and we've never talked on the phone. So I'll see you later. Yeah. Uh, this is very sitcom. Like, nope, never spoke, on the, never spoke to you on the phone. And so that Kramer is leaving. He's going uptown. So is Jane. They're going to split a cab. Kramer says to her in that same sort of tone as he was on the phone sex line. So uh, what about the driver? And she's confused. Now, should she have picked up on this or she just talks to so many guys on the phone that all the calls just blend together? Uh, Either that, probably that, but also maybe she's just a stone cold actress here. Yeah. Now, she doesn't want to be recognized. Then she knows that she's in big trouble with her relationship here. (laughs) In terms of Jane, when we find out at the end of the episode that she actually is the person on the 976 uh, phone number is Jane the absolute best case scenario of the person you're actually talking to on the 976 phone? Oh, no question. She's like an extra $10 a minute. Yeah. Like <laughs> you want someone who's actually a woman. <laughs> right. Right. So uh, this is a very, uh, you know, lucky uh, chance for Kramer. That oh, yeah. You're lucky if you get 50 year old Jamie Gertz. Happy <laughs> birthday, by the way, Jamie. <laughs> Happy birthday. Okay. So Jane ends up leaving. And Kramer tells Jerry, she's Erica. She's the phone sex woman. And Jerry says, you're crazy. Kramer says, no, that voice is again tattooed in his brain. So flinty. Right. Am I so, ins- are you, am I so sane that I just blew your mind? Everything Kramer says in this episode is right. Mm-hmm. Yes. He says, is it so possible uh, that your head is spinning like a top? And uh, Jerry says, can't it? Or is your entire world just crashing down all around you? (laughs) (laughs) Everything you know is a lie. Yeah, He has like three really good like lines uh, just to blow Jerry's mind. Yeah, Kramer has like almost the weakest story, but he still has a lot to do in this episode. Very good. So Jerry and Elaine are at Monk's and Elaine's talking about how the bandages are going to come off on Sunday. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, I mean, this whole thing is uh, how like we don't know how long it's been, but uh like she she was at least she hung out to see the bandages off and not just, uh, you know, ditched him the second he got hurt. And Jerry tries to say, I thought you weren't dating him for his looks. And Elaine's like, uh, like, I know he's a mimbo. All right. <laughs> yeah, she got off the corner really fast. She's like, oh, I, I, I was lying. Yeah, and she like has like this really emotional moment where she like starts to break down and cry. And it's like, you know, well, maybe- we have, but this is this. So at the time, it's like it's unusual, but it's not out of place. But then you realize it's just so she could ask for a tissue and to spare, you know, to start this whole sort of thing. <laughs> you know, I didn't even put that together, but she's like, uh, you know, maybe I could find out what love is. And and maybe after all this, you know, after dating this freak, I'll, I'll like, uh, you know, in some ironic <laughs> twist, I'll, I'll learn the true meaning of love. And Jerry's like, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. 
<laughs> right. But right, I do think this whole thing is so she can ask not that she's crying intentionally, but they're making the actress cry to, uh, you know, to set up this final beat here. All right. So they notice that Kramer is over there and they say, what's going on over there, Kramer? And he says, everything's all set. Erica is supposed to meet him here. Now we're going to find out the truth. And he says that he has a certain chemistry with her. Didn't he get the Kavorka taken care of last week? Yeah, but he's still, you know, he's still the K-Man. He could still, you know, pull a lady every now and then. It's also incredible that he got the phone sex operator to meet him in person. That right. has to be the first time ever. <laughs> really, it, the 976 number uh, industry probably really took off after this episode. No, I mean, it's, this is like more impressive than, you know, dating a teacher. Yeah, because, I mean, if you could be spending, you know, uh, you know $5 a minute, but just like be at home and there was a chance you could get, you know, it could be cheaper than going out and like buying drinks. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, he's saving all this money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's amazing that she happens to live right near him and she, you know, isn't in like Duluth, wherever. Yeah. Is the Kavorka like when Jerry starts shaving his chest that it just grows back worse than it was before? It is possible. It is possible. Like they, they just temporarily got rid of the Kavorka, but it's back. <laughs> it's back in a big way. All right. So here comes Jane and Jerry says to her, hello, Erica. And she plays it off completely like, what are you talking about? And Jerry says, how could you say things like that over the phone? And she doesn't even know what he's talking about. And your job. And she says that she sells paper goods, you jerk. jerk. And this is really worst case scenario. Not only is she meeting her client here, which is probably going to get her fired if she gets busted, but her boyfriend happens to be in the same restaurant. What are the odds? What are the odds? Now, don't you find this really odd that she sells paper goods I mean, this whole episode is about, or maybe it's it's not odd, maybe it all makes perfect sense, is about her hoarding toilet paper, napkins, paper towels, tissues, but her cover story for her job is that she sells paper goods? Yeah, I think we have our answer. I think she has all the tissues and toilet paper she could ever need. She's just, uh, she's just a hoarder here. Yeah, and uh, maybe in her profession, maybe, uh, you know, she needs... Uh, I, I don't know what, what why she needs actually. What happens when people try and buy her tissues? Like she gets a client. Is she like, uh, sorry, but uh, I can't I can't spare. I can't spare any of the boxes we have in the warehouse. Yeah. Now, when George got the job in, I forget which episode, what the title of the episode was, where he starts working at the at the company and then uh, it's a rest stop supply company. Like, is that the same company that she fictionally works at? Um, no, there's guys in Manhattan. There's dozens of companies like that. It's not Penske. There's dozens of companies like that. Well, anyway, so at this point, Elaine asks Jane, do you have a tissue? Because she's, uh, I guess, because she's crying. Excuse me, I have a tissue. Yeah, and she says she she doesn't have enough to spare, but she says it like manically, like a crazy person. Yes, I'm sorry. I can't spare it. There's not enough to spare. And Elaine is like, oh. So Jane has to go to the ladies' room. And so Elaine says, I have to go to the bathroom too. She like runs past Jane. Now tell me if this is physically possible for this to have happened. So in running past Jane to get to the restroom, Elaine is able to go into one of the stalls, remove all of the toilet paper, and then move into the other stall and lock herself in. Yeah, it's very impressive. It's very impressive. It's impossible. I think it's pretty borderline impossible. I mean, she has like basically like a two second lead on her. Yeah, but I think what happens is that she beats her and then Erica is kind of like incredulous that she just got beat. 
And also, with, there's always like the awkward thing of like, is this a one person bathroom or more, you know, at a restaurant? So maybe she's sort of like hemming and hawing outside for 30 seconds. And okay. that's where Elaine has the time. All right. So, you know, that thing, right? You ever been to like most restaurant bathrooms, unless you're in like some huge restaurant, it's like, you know, you might have like a few separate rooms, but each one is kind of like for right. one person. No, if it's like, uh... and this is a diner. This isn't some like gigantic thing. And the more bathrooms you have in Manhattan, like the worse it is because you just have like, People coming in off the street. All right. So Elaine and Jane are now in the stall and Jane's like, you know, I always look, but you know, I realize that I did not check to see if there's any toilet paper uh, and wants to know if she has any for her. I mean, it's such a, it's such a specific thing that happened, uh, you know, twice. (laughs) Well, Elaine says, no, I don't have a uh, square to spare. She cannot spare a square. It's funny because it, she hasn't realized, Jane hasn't realized till right now. Mm-hmm. And Jane also uh, says that uh, she was horrified by this person, so, but she uh, is unable. She doesn't have the voice tattooed in her brain. She doesn't have it tattooed. She, like, to her, it was just something that happened. Remember, our people are sociopathic. The core four, they, they harbor grudges and they, you know, they have long memories, whereas Jane might be, she's not normal, but she might not have that trait. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to, could you get rolls of toilet paper out of a public restroom? I mean, aren't they also like often in like some sort of like a like container setup? Right. They shouldn't be out like that because then they're all just going to be like on the floor and gross. And well, it's, it's not good are, news. are horrible and they steal uh, like things like toilet paper from public places. Yeah, it's, it's pretty tricky. Yeah. Like usually like in a public place like that, they'll have like the roll of toilet paper. That's like, you know, a, uh, you know, an 18 inch tire. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I like I don't have exactly in my head where they keep like there may also be some sort of like utility closet that she was able to bust into quickly. <laughs> wow. This is a real heist. So then Elaine comes uh, running out of the restroom. You know, she's like, I know who you are. Yeah. And that's right. I know you. She runs out with like, you know, six rolls of toilet paper in arms. Nobody in management at Monk's uh, notices anything odd going on here. I mean, they already like we already have an established relationship that they know is Elaine. Elaine is nuts. She's already already accused them of only hiring uh, like busty waitresses right. recently. So they know she's probably like a, like almost like an EDP and like not to not to you know mess with her. Yeah. And so they see her and they're like, uh, oh, my God. And then she like drops all of the toilet paper onto Jerry. And then like a second later, Jane just comes out. She's like, whatever. Yeah, I think uh, what's it called? You think she's like uh, whatever. I mean, she was already on the toilet. Like, it, you know, what you going to do? There's no there's no toilet paper. Yeah. Now, she did have a her own set of tissues that Elaine wants to borrow. Is the is the tissues the the answer to this problem? Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, did she bring her purse to the bathroom, though? I mean, who doesn't bring their purse to the bathroom? Well, if your boyfriend is at the table, you don't always bring your purse. I guess women. Ex-boyfriend. <laughs> that's true. But like he might have I mean, run out by the time uh, that she gets out of there. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't really know purse etiquette. We need a purse expert. <laughs> All right. So Jane walks out. She says to Jerry, don't call me anymore. And then Jerry doesn't say anything. And she goes up to Kramer. You either. And then uh, that's the end of the episode. It's a really good finish. Uh, even if you saw it coming. And it's hard to say also how obvious it is because we've already seen it. You know, it's like uh, the first time someone's watching or they're like, or their mouths agape the same way Jerry and Kramer's are. See, I, I forgot what the ending to this episode was. I thought that it was that it was a case of mistaken identity. 
Right. So, so it is, it is a pretty good shock ending and it ties everything in together. Everyone has a storyline. There's really a lot of positives about this episode. Yeah. So overall, then we have our final thing about jumping out of a plane. Jerry doesn't understand uh, why they call it extreme sports. Again, uh, making fun of uh, Tony again. Says that he doesn't know why necessarily uh, they call it a sport when all you do is just sort of fall out of a plane or lean forward. There's no winner. I think even like chess is more of a sport because somebody wins and loses. Here, how, like, how do you compete in a bungee jumping, skydiving type thing? Yeah, and then also says, why do you wear a helmet? Because at that point, the helmet's wearing you when you're jumping out of the plane. Right, you're either landing safely or you're not. Okay. Akiba, what is your episode ranking for the stall? So I think um, I think this is the strongest episode so far in season five. So before that, it was the puffy shirt. I have this above the puffy shirt. I think that while there aren't, other than the end, if you really like the end, which I do, there aren't a ton of like transcendent, memorable lines there are they hit a lot of singles and doubles in this episode. The audience laughs, I think, more than any episode we've seen so far. Wow. They had like a really giddy audience. Um, so I have this at all the way up at number 18. Wow, that is high. Well, you didn't like this episode? I liked it. I don't know if it was a top 20 Seinfeld episode. There's really not a bad moment in the whole episode other than he should have ripped up the magazines. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I think that this is a uh, a very solid episode, and I liked it more than I thought, but I don't know if I would consider this episode, The Stall, to be an all-time classic. Right. Well, we've definitely had episodes with higher highs, but to me, it's the most well-rounded episode we've seen so far. Everyone has something going. We actually, I really like the fact that there aren't a lot of superfluous characters in the episode. There's only six people who speak at all, right? Just them uh, and, and Tony and, and uh, Jamie. So it's really... Uh, it's it's really uh sort of like tight uh, episode, and I don't know, I, I like it. Okay, yeah, I think it's probably for me probably between like uh forty to fifty, then uh, top okay. twenty, but um, you know, still above it's average. Your list, oh yes, it's it's I I feel like this was a solid like B plus. I don't know if I would have it as an A. Mm-hmm. Oh okay, it wasn't a B minus like us in high school. <laughs> B minus D, we were. D. Well, you were a B minus. I might have been. Uh, I think I was. But my high school was. Inc- First of all, there were no girls. Yeah. My high school. So it was already. You're already like. Because that would have brought me right down to a D. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't. It wasn't like the coolest group of people. <laughs> and another, right. I could have gone. I could have gone to high school down the block and easily been like a, a, a G minus. G minus. <laughs> uh, is there anything that would have been different in 2015 from 1994? I feel like Elaine gets called to the hospital. You know, if uh, you know, a text, I think something should get should get a hey, I'm in the hospital text. Now, the nine seven six number thing is Kramer like seeing some sort of like webcam model. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a webcam type situation. I feel like uh, there's definitely no nine seven six numbers. He is dating some webcam model, but maybe it's like an audio only thing where like she obscures her face. Like, because how does he not know? That it's also Jerry's girlfriend, or maybe he does know the whole time. Some sort of webcam where I guess you don't you don't see her face, or I guess maybe she has like some sort of like tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> also, goes- Jerry. Um, I mean, uh, Tony definitely found a Groupon for rock climbing in twenty fifteen. <laughs> Why? That's not extreme. It's not extreme, but no, George got the Groupon. Actually, okay. you're right. <laughs> Tony's like, you want to go? He's like, I found the Groupon. And Tony's like, no, I'd rather spend the money. Yeah, and then. I don't know if there's anything else. I think that the uh, toilet paper technology has not advanced much since 1994. Really? We haven't gone anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> all right. So uh, good stuff all around on uh, the stall. All right. Are you ready to get into some of our Seinfeld emails for the week? Let's do it. Okay. So here we go. Of course, uh, these emails come into us every week. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. All right. Let's check back in with Dan who Dan was our listener who I met when I was up in San Francisco, who said that the shows aren't long enough. And somebody in the comments on uh, postshowrecaps.com had suggested that maybe we pay off Akiva in pie to make the podcast longer. That was from uh, Susie. I love it. Uh, Susie, send me some pie. We'll we'll go five hours. Okay, there you go. (laughs) Rob might only be here for the first hour, but I'll go five. (laughs) Will you be eating the pie as we podcast? You won't be able to tell. Okay. So Dan, uh, what he proposed was that for every minute longer than 70 minutes, he would be donating $1 to a charitable cause. He said after last week's show, we are $13 ahead. Nice. You know, it'd be funny if at the end of this episode, uh, we just sang like the whole hundred bottles of beer song to stretch (laughs) out the episode for another 20 minutes for the money. (laughs) Now, does the charity lose a dollar if we do like a 69 minute episode? I think the charity should lose the money. 100%. A hundred percent. That's a lot of pressure. And also it'll, it'll save, it'll save Dan's pocket. Yeah. And did he give us any, any information on which charity? Cause we weren't sure we wanted insight on which charity to choose. Okay. So he did get into it. He said, as for a Seinfeld related charity, he says that Jerry hosted a PBS pledge drive, uh, without Danny Tartable. So we, right. I don't think we want to donate money to PBS for, no, uh, definitely not. I mean, I like frontline. I just saw, uh, a great uh, guy solved like who did the Libyan like Lockerbie bombing, a three part movie. That was really good. Yes. But uh, no, I'm not, I'm not giving them, I'm not giving TV money. That's going to be a hard sell to my wife. <laughs> I'd <laughs> rather just give harder. It to the, I'd rather give it to the Mets. Although I, if I remember he specified, we can't give it to the Mets. Yeah. I like PBS. Like it would be funny if you could just donate money, Rob, to like channels, mm-hmm. like instead of PBS, like let's say it wasn't a non-for-profit or something. It's like, you know, I'm giving all my money to TNT this week. I love drama. <laughs> Yeah, well, some people, they should, that's basically the model for like HBO. Yeah, but that's not a charity. Like they're giving you something in return. I guess so. Uh, Dan says that the bachelor auction, which Elaine did, uh, she believes was for an AIDS charity. Uh, Russell Dalrymple's infatuation with Elaine led him to Greenpeace. Uh, George was on the board of directors for the Susan Ross Foundation. Uh, and also uh, Larry David uh, abused the Make-A-Wish Foundation in Curb. Also, um, there was Elaine's pledge drive to uh, dress the homeless in the puffy shirt. Okay. Does it have to be Seinfeld related though? <laughs> it does not have to be. So, but we're just looking for a good cause. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like, you know, feeding poor people, feeding yeah. people who are hungry. I feel like that's a good cause. Let me do, re- unless he has like a particular one, let me actually look into it and then we'll run it by him next week. Yeah, I do sense. And I think it's not even close that you are overall a much more well-informed person than I am. On charities? Uh, on anything, I feel like. Well, you know. I also, I really, um, I actually, like, one of my weird pet peeves is I hate charities with, like, really large overhead. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm really anti, like, most big charities. And okay. small charities. I hate charities. No, I'm just kidding. But I really do, I really am. Do you, I don't know, does that bother you? Like, what? charities where where it's like, uh, we only give out, like, 2% of the 100, you know, of the uh, out of 100 $2 out of every hundred that we raise or something yeah, like that. You know, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement because I'm sure there are some good charities. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that's every charity. I'm just work. saying there's a lot of big, some of the bigger charities like end right. up, you know, right. not naming any of them. But. Right. It's hard. It's hard to tell. And honestly, I, I you know, I, I have no, I have no idea, but I definitely uh, believe you when you say it. So, all right. So Dan, uh, we have uh, 
you know, $13 in the bank plus wherever this podcast ends up. And then uh, we are still working on uh, where that money is going. But t- I think we do have to go. If we, if we go under, it's, he gets the money back. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and we have to go back to the people and like take away the food we gave them or something. No, no, no. We, <laughs> we should just like bank it for the season. And yeah, we'll bank it maybe every right at the end of each season. He'll you know, he could he could write a check or something like that. Okay. All right. So then he wants to also know, so especially for all this, Dan gets to get his question asked. Which aspect of the ending scene is the most contrived? Is it a Jane agreeing to meet a phone sex client in person? B Jane choosing to meet the phone sex client at a place where she knows Jerry goes all the time. Does she know that? We don't know if she knows that she doesn't have a scene there. Uh, C. No. Jane responding to, excuse me, uh, do you have a tissue with, no, I'm sorry, I can't spare it. There's just not enough to spare instead of no. Or D, when confronted about being Erica, Jane's initial reaction is to lie about it, but then reveal it later. Why not just break up with Jerry and keep your loyal paying customer in Kramer? Yeah, I mean, it's really crazy. There's so many, like, I don't have a problem with the scene because it's so ridiculous. We're not supposed to think it's realistic. But the decision to go to Monks, we could analyze for an hour. It's absurd. The idea, uh, the decision to go to Monks or the decision to meet him anywhere? Oh, the decision to meet him anywhere is nuts. Yes. But I understand why she would want to meet him in a public place. You know, that's fair. And I understand why he would want to meet her. He's the, uh, you know, for all he knows, she's like a six foot seven, you know, linebacker Mm -hmm. with a really nice, sultry, uh, flinty voice. Um, But they should be meeting, you know, not at a place. Like, why does Kramer want to meet her at a place? I guess he has no shame. Why does he want to meet her at a place? where his friends are frequently because there. he wants to prove to Jerry that it's actually her. So right. Mystery, I guess, it's I guess. not that he is like infatuated with. Yeah, her. that's true. That's true. But the idea it's, that Erica slash Jane would be like, okay, she's dating a guy like Jerry and she's working at a phone sex place, but like secretly like on the side. I mean, is it just that she's just like, you know, so hard up for money that she's willing to, take the meet these clients in person or is it that she's so turned on by what Kramer is saying on the phone that she needs to meet this guy? It's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like she's maybe going to try and like catfish him or do some sort of scheme. And that's why she's meeting up with him. I mean, does Jerry, if she just comes clean, she's like, I real, you know, when Jerry says, what do you do for a living? And she says it's boring. If she's told him the truth, is that an automatic breakup from Jerry? I think so. I mean, we're talking about uh, last Don't week. Let Jerry. Yeah, yeah, he wanted to break up with a woman because she might have had a fungus last week. That's true. I mean, he breaks up with people whose toothbrush falls in the toilet. Yeah. So I think so. So it just, it, there's a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense and don't hold up the scrutiny, but uh, whatever. We'll go with it. Okay. Craig has a question. Craig from Vancouver. He says that Tony might be my favorite one episode boyfriend for Elaine. I just like the character from his dude-like attitude and phrases like manana and step off. When Tony Vlachos was on Survivor Kageon, I could never stop thinking about the scene when Jerry says hunky Tony and then does an Elvis strut. <laughs> okay. Question. Have either of you ever called a phone sex line and are they useless today? <laughs> they called it. Akiva, have you ever called a phone sex line? I, I a hard no. I don't even call like my mom to say like uh, have a good holiday or something like that. I don't know why. Where you, uh, that seems like a leap to get from phone. Sex I'm saying I don't call mom. anybody. I've okay. discussed how. Oh, uh, <laughs> you're you're averse to the phone, is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm anti phone. I'm at, like email me if you want something or G chat me. Yeah. Uh, even if I thought about it as a young lad, like 
I would never have had access to a phone. Right. How where, are you doing that and not getting busted? And then by the time you're a grown up, it's like it was out of vogue. Yeah. How do, how do I tell my dad that uh, there's hey, I, I don't know who these 900 numbers are. Right. Because if it didn't, if it just gave you the charge and not the numbers, you could be like, oh, I was out and I needed to know like the Met score. I needed to. I called like, uh, you know, whatever the whatever the old sports score number was. Right. I don't know if that predates you, but it's, you know, the. You know, it's hard to it's hard to justify to your parents. Not an easy one. If there would have been a way for 17 year old me to call one of these numbers and get away with it, I definitely out of curiosity would have would have done it. But would you have done was, it with like a group of friends giggling in the background, though? I didn't have any friends. In so. theory, <laughs> well, by the time you went to college, that's not true. By the time you went to college, you had like people around you who were your friends. Right. right but I never had a fun, like you'd have like some sort of like you know, wacko like university. In theory, it's like a fun thing to do with like a group of giggling, like 14 year olds in the background. Right. right. I I would, if somebody had that idea, I definitely would not have been against it. We would call like three one one and ask them like inappropriate questions or whatever the precursor to that. Right. Okay. Here's a question from Amir. Amir says, uh, are we safe to assume that Jerry was allowing Kramer to use the phone in his room and potentially not be master of his own domain the whole scenario seems beyond ridiculous for Jerry, the character to allow. Do if well, we talked about this at the top of the show, and this is just so still so implausible. If Kramer has already been found guilty of calling the nine seven six numbers, why does he need to do it from Jerry's house? Because he doesn't want to pay for it. He's cheap and he doesn't have money. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, yeah, of course. Why does he? Why can't he buy his own food, Rob? Why does he have to go raid Jerry's fridge five times a day? Yeah. All right, then. Uh, Amir says, Elaine is completely in the right in this episode. The idea that this woman wouldn't spare a square or at least comes back and provide her with some paper towels or napkins is downright evil. I can't even rationalize Jane's reaction or behavior in that situation. Should Jane have said, you know, I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't have a square to spare. Let me bring you paper towels. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. In, in New York, you like a lot of times you ignore strangers who talk to you. It does happen sometimes like, I, you know, I've seen people like, you know, or I've even asked like, and then they just like, Hey, you know, you try and catch someone's attention. Like, Hey, or am I going East or West here? And it's like, they, they hear you and they totally blow you off. Mm-hmm. So it is like, this is also the type of place where it's very easy, especially you're not even seeing the person's face to ignore the other person, but it's awkward. So now pretend you're Jane. Okay. You finish, you wash your hands. And now it's like, I'm going to pass over the, the stall to some stranger. Like, a group, you know, like a whole pack of tissues. But then it's like women. I feel like there's a lot of camaraderie in right. the women's bathroom. I've never been in a woman's bathroom, but I feel like there's a ton of like a sense of sisterhood. And I do think that that she's breaking the uh, the the girl code here for sure. Does it bother you that there are like no pants at ankles? They just seem to be. We just started seeing like feet. I didn't really. I, I I was only paying attention to like how. Like she was wearing like like white socks with the wrong type of shoes. That's what I was looking at. Right. So I yeah, it's sort of it's like uh, it's almost like the are we see, even seeing any like uh, like pants at all? It's just sort of like uh, like feet and shoes, right? Well, maybe NBC said, "Oh, we can't see the pants around the ankles." Well, maybe they're wearing a dress. Maybe they're wearing dresses. I, oh I yeah, I don't know. Like, listen, I I I don't even know. I don't even know what goes on in women's bathroom. Got to take a look at that. All right, and then got to take a look at that. Well, I, I, it'd be interesting to see. Was it like, oh, the sensors are like, no, that we can't see, you know, a pants at ankles because then we're seeing underwear. Oh, so. yeah, that, that is an interesting question, like the sensor type of question. Right, or were they just both wearing a dress and that's why. So uh, it would be interesting to see what they what they did. Um, 
then I'm talking about from the producers what they did. We understand I don't not see. to have like a camera in there, you right, freak. Right. This is in Porky's. Uh, yeah. Then finally, uh, Amir wants to know the entire character Dan Cortez is playing here is the most hammer time thing of the entire Seinfeld series. Was that really the epitome of cool in 1994? I nominate Step Off as the official podcast catchphrase. Yeah, I do like Step Off. He's a little like he has a little like Wayne's World in him, right? That's about this time. He has like a little bit of like the carefree. It's all, all there's a little bit of late eighties to him also, but it is like an early nineties thing. But was Step Off that iconic of a phrase to be using the? 90s? I don't think so. Like Step Off, bro. I feel like it's something someone would have said, but it's not in like the top twenty. Okay. Uh, Johnny DeSilvera weighs in that he says that in nine seasons of Seinfeld, this is only one of two episodes where we see Jerry actually using the computer. That's good because we don't have we'd have seizures if it was every episode. The other one is in the season nine episode, The Strong Box. Yes. All right. And then finally, uh, Johnny wants to know what's the most extreme sport either of the two of you have ever done? Du- is How's doubles tennis? <laughs> doubles tennis. Uh, I don't know if that's an extreme sport. No. OK. Extreme sport. I don't know. What's your extreme sport? Well, I think I would say I did do like a cliff diving. I jumped off like oh a, uh, you know, a uh, not even like a high thing. I would say like a medium cliff one time. I mean, I've done zip lining and ropes courses. The thing that this that like brought, you know, what brought back memories to me is like when George is agreeing to go to the rock climbing was a little bit like uh, me telling my wife, like the first time we we're ever going out on like a date type of thing. Right after I met her, like, hey, let's uh, let's spend their day off in camp. Let's go wherever you want to go. I'll take you wherever you want to go. She's like, all right, let's go to Dorney Park because that, you know, that is that's like a mm-hmm. it's like a Six Flags type place sure. that was near the camp. And then we got there, and I was like, oh man, I'm on a I'm on a you know a date with this with this uh, lady who you know who apparently likes me right now. And one, I I got the tickets ripped and I threw them in the garbage because I didn't realize that we weren't in the park yet, and I had to fish through the garbage for the stubs. Because mm-hmm. like you get the tickets, but then you have to like get them seen like another twenty feet later. So that was embarrassing having like fish through the top of the garbage there. Uh, but then I realized I'm afraid of roller coasters, and the whole park was roller coasters. Yeah, so that, like I'd say going so going on those roller coasters was like the most extreme thing I've ever done. Yeah, I am not a roller coaster guy either. I remember thinking like oh, I'm probably going to die on this roller coaster, and it's like it's not. It's funny because I'm like she's going to break up with me if I don't go on, and I'm like like ultimately I'd rather you know, have a, like a lifetime of loneliness, then go on this roller coaster. But for some reason I was too much of a coward and I decided to not chicken out and go on it. Okay. Good for you, Akiva. And look, three kids later, uh, it was like a, it was a solid, uh, it's like a nice story that you were willing to go and, and meet your fear to, uh, try to impress your wife and lie to her and trick her into thinking like, wow, this guy is a real go getter, a real adventurous guy. Yeah. I mean, he's willing to try anything. He's willing to try anything. Um, yeah, I mean, I think also it's like it, she I'm not a big driver. So she drove like the hour and a half drive to the park. <laughs> and then it's like, even though I'm paying for everything, like she's already driving. So I've already lost like most of my masculinity. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and, and any, almost anywhere we go, she drives. So like that happens frequently if I was leaving the house to drive somewhere. But like so then I'm going there. And then if I chicken out, I feel like that's it. Right. She's right. not. I'm lucky if she lets me in the car. It was my, it, it wasn't her car, but like I'm lucky if she lets me in the car on the way uh, on the way back. Okay. So well, I had no choice. You tricked her. Oh, she tells me that every like, <laughs> constantly. You got her. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. We try to be so fun when we uh, meet somebody. 
That's true. Yeah. And then it's and, and it's all downhill. <laughs> all right. I mean, it's all uphill. I just, I don't know. All right, Akiva, <laughs> what's the hashtag for this Seinfeld podcast? There's a lot of options, I guess. Yes. Uh, I don't know, like uh, Lance, like something about boiling lances, something, <laughs> up, something about sparing squares. You know, we didn't mention, what was Zippy the pinhead? Yeah, that's that was the subject of Chester's email, but he wrote in about the same thing that Amir had already talked about. <laughs> <laughs> Zippy, yeah, Jerry, what did Jerry describe? Who was Zippy the Pinhead? I think it was a cartoon character, but I think he was going to say when he gets his bandages off that, like, what's the worst case scenario? He's going to look like Zippy the Pinhead, who I guess was like a particularly ugly cartoon character. Yeah, uh, is he like a Hellraiser? I think it's like more of a comedic, just ugly guy. Yeah, I, I want to know also what people were like. You don't have to put in the hashtag. I'm curious to know what people think that they were in high school because also like my perception obviously could be totally warped i'm trying to think of any of my high school friends listen but they might be laughing and saying like oh no you were the biggest nerd or maybe you were the coolest guy i mean if they're really drunk when they're listening the you know what i mean i want to know what people think they were in high school like were you an a were you like an f minus mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to know yeah i feel like i was probably like a c minus yeah i mean that like that your your perception is that you're a c minus but you're also sort of self-deprecating so I feel like if you're saying you're a C minus, you might have been closer to a B. No, I was like Whereas a C like minus. Some people are overconfident. They're going to be like, I was a B plus. But in reality, they were like a D, like just struggling to get out of the F zone. Like I was like a, a C minus probably because it was like, you know, I wasn't like getting like, like beat up or like, you know, totally like made fun of all the time. But like I probably could have been if people would have paid more attention to me. Like so I was mostly just for the most part ignored. Like I was really, I was desperate. Like I really wanted attention from like the popular people and they sort of like would be like mildly amused by me, but not like interested enough to want to hang out with me, but also like not annoyed enough to really want to like mock or harass me. Right. But also different skill sets are cooler in elementary school where in high school, like part of it's like being popular with the girls. And like in, in elementary school, I remember like your level of coolness when I was in like third grade was directly proportional to how good you were at basketball oh you know so that was like uh you know that was i mean obviously it wasn't very cool then but and also i would you'd go to summer camp and this would always be interesting sometimes people who would be like nerds in school would would have a lot of friends in camp for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and i would you would want to be like no you don't understand he's a nerd like stop thinking he's cool but you couldn't say that but i was substantially you know i went to an all-boys school growing up but camp had girls so I was substantially less cool in camp. Oh, I thought you were going to like say that you were the, the king of camp. No, no, no. I was not king of camp. Hashtag king of camp. I was, I was, uh, no, I was like afraid of the girls for a while. Cause also picture, picture you're me and you never have any interaction with girls. Cause like mm. my group of friends is all guys and I'm in school for 10 months a year, uh, you know, with just, just the fellas. And now I'm going to camp and it's like, who are these foreign creatures that, and then you're like 11 and they're like a foot. Every girl's a foot taller right. than you, you know? So you're like a pitcher and you are like uh, you play like all year long in like uh, Japanese baseball with this designated hitter. But like in the yeah. summer, you come to like, uh, you know, some like uh, f- like fall league. Now or, I'm in the majors. Or, 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 I went yeah, from the Japan yeah. league to the majors. All right, and, and, yeah, and, now it's like, and now you're batting and you're like, ah, I don't yeah. know what to do. I never bat. I would be like too nervous to talk to them, honestly, for a while. <laughs> like years. I was like. I was too nervous to even like approach a girl. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's go with the hashtag officially hallway cred in honor okay. of uh, Akiva had hallway cred when he was in the all boys uh, high school. 
All right. Unfortunately for the kids that did not have hallway cred and Akiva would only talk to them on the weekends. I mean, yeah, if they were if they were so lucky. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks so much, uh, everybody uh, who uh, listened to the podcast again uh, this week. You know, we greatly appreciate it that you guys uh, not only spend time with us, but spend so much time with us that you get all the way to the end. Always appreciated. Uh, you got your hashtags. You can follow Akiva and I on Twitter. Akiva is at Keev26. I am at Rob Sisternino. Uh Thanks to Mike Moore, who writes uh, a killer episode summary every week. Uh, the best summaries that we're getting probably anywhere in all of uh, Rob Has a Planet. So a uh, great job by Mike, uh, who's been with us for so long in this journey. And also Scott St. Pierre, who cuts out all of the major mistakes that Akiva and I make every week. All of them. Yeah. And you know what we have on tap next week, Rob? What's that? We have uh, the dinner party. We, we discuss uh, the different levels of babka and what the inferior babka is. And uh, we meet Saddam Hussein. Oh, good. All right. So uh, a lot to get to. Uh, thank you guys so much. You can subscribe to the Seinfeld podcast uh, as well. Also, Akiva, did you see we were like uh, like ticking up to like 150 in the TV and film uh, charts this past week? On no, I didn't know to look for us in the charts. I wonder, is that just from... Because like my appearance on the thing, yes. like why would we get back in the charts? Yeah, you're recent. The podcast we did um, uh, for Rob has a podcast yeah. was was uh, very high. I don't know if it got to one, but it was at two or three at least in yeah. TV and film. There you go. Uh, it, you know, I don't think that was because of me. It was obviously because of T Bird, but I'm I'm uh, honored to have been a part of it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we were uh, ticking up into the charts, and that's just uh, happens when people start subscribing. So uh, we always appreciate it when you subscribe to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com/slash Seinfeld iTunes, and also leaving us your star ratings and feedback and comments on that page also helps us uh, tick up a bit in the rankings. So thank you guys so much for this. We'll be back next week. Have a good one. Let's go, Mets. Take care, everybody. <laughs>